that video takes us back to a, a number of things that we've been talking about the last few weeks as we looked at the flock from John chapter 10 and, and how we relate to it. You heard the guy doing his little brrrt, 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 and they just followed along. That, you know, I, I sang silly songs, but there, you, there was one of the example of the sheep knowing the shepherd's voice. Did you see how uh, they followed these well-worn paths? Green pasture on right and left of those sheep, and not a single sheep turned to that pasture. You remember I told you that, as I understand it, sheep are dumb enough that they'll stand between pastures and starve to death because they're not used to, if they're not taken to the pasture, they won't go to the pasture. Just that video wraps us up really well this Sunday uh, as we move into the final passage, the final section about us being the sheep, the flock, and Jesus being the good shepherd, the, the good shepherd, uh, the shepherd's heart, part two this week. The question that it asked at the end of that video was, do you follow Jesus? That is the question we have to ask ourselves. That's the question that should come to mind daily. Uh, it's a question definitely for those who have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Absolutely, that's a question that uh, someone who is lost not saved, should ask. But we can rephrase that question just a little bit to, to go with this theme that we've been on since, since I came. Are we living called out? Because that's still the theme. As the flock, are we living called out? This is a question for believers to ask, a question for church members to ask, to examine our own lives. Are we following Jesus? See, Jesus' message is always for everyone. Sometimes I, I think we, as Christians, as believers, if we've been believers for a long time, we, we tragically, sadly get bored with the gospel message. And a lot of these, these passages, a lot of these sermons have been very clear explanations of the gospel, sometimes almost a point-by-point a, a -point explanation of the gospel. And sometimes as believers, it's, oh, can we move on? No, no, we can't. How could we ever get tired of the very thing that saved us, the very thing that provides eternity with God for us? The message is always fresh, always new, and it is always calling us as believers, new or old, to refresh repentance, to fresh uh, following to fresh obedience and we see that again this morning in John 10 14 through 18 where we're gonna we're gonna be looking wrapping up the the message of the flock the series on the flock we'll pick that up uh, we'll pick up week after next doctor uh, next week dr. Rick Brewer from Louisiana College will be here and he'll be preaching and actually uh, playing and singing uh, now uh, I found out he does that so we're gonna put him to work on that too uh, he'll be here, and then the week following, we'll begin continuing Jesus' church, continuing Jesus, uh, continuing living called out, and how we are the vine. The church is the vine. We'll pick up in John 15 at that point. John 10, 14 through 18. says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. 
I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the, fathers love me, uh, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father, the Good Shepherd. We, we introduced that idea last week. He, Jesus comes out with another I am statement. He, he had just said it in his discourse only a few seconds before, I am the good shepherd. He says again, I am the good shepherd. We talked about last week what good could mean, more than just what we, the label we uh, put on it, like ice cream is good, um, bluebell's better, but it's still good, right? Um, ice cream on a chocolate chip cookie is even better, but it's still good. Those are how we label, that's how we use good. And he's using it much more deeply, much more intensely than that. He is good as opposed to everything else. Also, we talked about how that word could also be translated useful or beautiful. And we see how Jesus is all of those things to us. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good. How is he good? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. This passage, these five verses, show us a number of ways that Jesus is good. Why is Jesus good? Why could he call himself good? I mean, we, we're going to get into some, some uh, uh, deity descriptions of him. He's good that way, but th there's more here. Why is Jesus good? Why would he stand before us and say, I am the good shepherd? He's good because he knows us and we know him. Do you have anybody that knows you better than anybody else knows you, yet they still like you? We all probably have one or two people like that. We also all have people who like, uh, know us the more they know us, the less they like us. I get that, too, but I'm not talking about them. We, those are good people, right? You'd stick around with me, knowing me. Jesus is good because he knows us, and we know him. There is a relationship there. You know, that, that, that know in the Bible is not just like, I know my multipl multiplication tables, and I think I could still go through all of them. I'd have to think about a few of them. I think I could get 0 through 12. I could do that. I know that. Don't ask me to explain it, though. Why is 4 times 4, 16? Yeah, that's right. Why is 4 times 4, 16? Yeah, because you get four groups of four. Sure, all right. Yeah, got it. We take it a little bit higher. I might know it, but I don't have a relationship with math. Trust me. Um, I mean, I do have a relationship, but no one would call it good. Uh, I, I can't explain it. I don't know it. I, can't, I, I, I don't want to be intimate with math in any way. It exists. That's fine. I'm not spending time with it. I don't like it. That is not God's knowing or the good shepherd's knowing us. He knows us intimately. He knows everything about us, and yet he spends time with us. The know here is actually and throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, when it talks about knowing, it is using an image of husband and wife, intimate with each other. Our no His knowledge of us is so 
intimate. There is nothing he doesn't know about us. And yet he stays with us. Y'all, that is a good shepherd. This throws us back to the beginning of the passage, the beginning of the chapter, where it says, uh, the sheep know his voice, and, and he calls the sheep by name. That's the knowledge here. This is intimacy. This is time. This is conversation. This is relationship. He's good because he knows us and we know him. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is good because the Father knows him, and he knows the Father. Again, we're talking about relationship. Verse 15, the, the second part of that. I know my own, my own, own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I knows the Father. You know, it, 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 he didn't have to throw that in there to explain shepherd-to-sheep relationship. He didn't have to throw that in there to explain good shepherd-to-believers relationship. It's unnecessary. It, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it's not necess- necessary to, to uh, give that example. Yet he throws it, 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 throws it in anyway. Anyway. Why? He's letting us know that just as much as I have a relationship with you, Jesus has a relationship with us, he has the relationship with the Father. In the same way, but in fact, more intimately, Jesus is good as God is good. This is, this is more of Jesus saying, this is who I am. I and the Father are one, he will say. Before Moses was, I am, he will say. I am the good shepherd. Even though the Old Testament over and over and over talked about God as the good shepherd, Jesus is going to say, I'm the good shepherd. It's me, me, the Father. We are one. He's throwing this on them. He is the good shepherd. He is God in the flesh. There is that relationship. There is that, that unexplainable uh, incomprehensible relationship of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. First, second, and third person of the Trinity. There there is a relationship that we cannot understand, but a relationship that is a picture of how God wants to and does know us and how we should desire to know Him. We don't get it, but Jesus sets it up and tells us this is the relationship, how it should be. As I know the Father, that's the same way I know you. And yet he hangs around with us anyway. That is a good shepherd. And he's he's telling us that he is set up as the good shepherd by God the good shepherd. I'm only here because God has sent me. He gets to that here in just a minute. He's good because of the relationship that he has with the Father. Why is Jesus good? He is good because in verse 15, he says that he will die for his sheep. Remember last week, we talked about how the shepherd, the good shepherd, is he is the good shepherd. A good shepherd, or good shepherds in general, are willing to risk their lives for the sheep, but they're not going to intentionally die in order to save the sheep. They can get more sheep. Jesus now is flipping it and saying, yes, I'm the good shepherd. Good shepherds will risk their lives for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I will die for my sheep. This is a a present tense verb, I lay down my life. Present tense verb pointing toward the future. 
he is already laying his life down at this moment, but at, one, at a point in time, he will die. This is not merely a good shepherd risking his life for his sheep. This is the good shepherd with an option. We're going to talk about that in a minute, too. With an option to not lay down his life, choosing to lay down his life. Tell me how that is not good. Don't bother, you can't. That is a good shepherd. Good because he will die for, our, for his sheep. Verse 16, but I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. The good shepherd is good because he wants us all. The Father's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of him. We see here with the shepherd that he wants us all. I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. Now, in this context, this is beyond Israel. He's letting them know, guys, y'all, remember he's still talking to Pharisees, who have kicked out a guy who's been healed. Uh, kicked, out a guy that, kicked a guy out of the synagogue because he's been healed. He's still talking to those Pharisees, and he's letting them know, guys, y'all ain't all that. I've got other sheep. This is my current fold. This is the current sheep pen. But beyond Israel, beyond Judaism, you know, Israel the country, Judaism the faith, beyond all of that, I have other sheep. Do you know who he's talking to? Me, you, we are his sheep. Jesus is telling them, look, my mission is bigger than y'all. It includes y'all, but my mission is bigger than y'all. My mission is the world. I want them all. I desire all of them. He is good because he wants all of us. How many of us want all of us? I want all of us. I want all of us to come to the faith. But if I were honest, and I try to be, I don't really want all of us. I mean, I, I want everybody to be saved, but I don't want to be everybody's friend. I mean, I, there's some people I don't like. Y'all all like everybody. I understand that. But me, I personally, they're just some folks that grate on me. Jesus knows us intimately, and yet he wants us. He does not suffer from human frailty. He does not suffer from human sinfulness. He does not look at me and say, Michael, your sins are too much. I don't want you. He doesn't look at you or you or any of you and say, your sins are too much. I don't want you. He says, I want you. I want them all. There are other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. He will call, and we pray that they will come. He's good because he wants unity. The end of verse 16, then there will be one flock, one shepherd. Notice, remember I told you uh, when we started this series that you could have a very large sheep pen and have multiple flocks in that pen, and the shepherd of one of those flocks could go to the gate, go to the door of that pen, and do maybe like the shepherd we heard this morning and do his little thing, call those sheep, and his sheep would follow. He didn't have to go and pick them out and say, oh, this color and that color, and you come here and that color, and limpy and ugly and dummy and smarty, and, and call them by name. 
and they would follow, and his flock would go, and the other flocks would stay. And that's an incredible picture of the relationship of the flock to the shepherd. But what Jesus says here is not one fold with many flocks, but one flock. So that when Jesus comes in and says, follow me, we all get up and we follow. We don't say, oh, I'm not of his flock. We, we, we had that in the New Testament. That was, that was covered. There were churches where the, the church people were saying, oh, I'm of Apollos and I'm of Paul. And Paul tells them, guess what, y'all? I'm a Jesus. That's the only one I'm worried about. Follow him as I follow me only as I follow him. He wants unity. In context, this is not Jews plus Gentiles. Paul's going to talk about that in Galatians. He's going to write an entire letter to some folks, uh, to a church in Galatia, because they were having problems with people saying, it's fine you want to be a Christian, that's great, but you need to become a Jew first. And then, even once you become a Jew first and then a Christian, there's still some difference. There's still a delineation between the two of us. We've got the Jews in church and the Gentiles in church, and Peter got in trouble for eating with one group and not with the other because he didn't want to make the Jews upset. And Jesus says, that is not my flock. My flock is all of them. Not one fold with many flocks, but one flock because we have one shepherd. There will be one flock, one shepherd, he says. And this sets us up to understand, sets us up to know there is one way to God. If there were many flocks, if there were many doors, many gates, then we might have different ways to God. There is no other way to God. When Jesus says, I am the door, I am the shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's letting us know we have no other option. We have no other way. Same way to God through the door that he talked about at the beginning of chapter 10. That is a good shepherd that wants his people to be unified. Now we could take this a little further and I don't believe get too far outside of the intent, even though we may be out of the immediate context and say he wants his church to be unified as well. We have done an incredibly horrible, disgustingly ugly job of unity in the church. And I'm not just talking about first sulfur, I'm talking about the church. How many different flavors do we have? A bunch. We can't all be right. Somebody's wrong, and it might be Baptists. I'm just going to throw that out there. I am Baptist because I uh, agree with what Baptists believe. I have done my homework, I have done the examination, and I feel Baptists are closest to Scripture. That's why I uh, am a Baptist, not just because I grew up one. But I admit that on some of these things, I could be wrong about my baptistic beliefs and others could be right i'm going to venture to say though that ain't none of us all right a lot of us are some right a few of us are kind of right a couple of us ain't even close to right but none of us are completely right and that's why we come to jesus and say purify us we say unify us we say, teach us, speak to us. We continue to come to Scripture. That's why we don't come here on Sunday morning and I give you a, 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 a psychobabble-filled, encouraging, uplifting, uh, 
speech that you could get from any TEDx presentation on YouTube. I preach scripture. And so when we come to scripture, if scripture disagrees with what we believe, then we go to scripture. We don't go to beliefs. Whether that's uh, religious beliefs, whether that's political beliefs, whether that's family beliefs, whether it's wh whatever the belief, we base what we believe on scripture and nothing else. That's how we become unified. Not by all agreeing on even doctrine and tradition, but going to scripture and finding Jesus there teaching us. He is good because he wants unity. He is also good because he shows the Father's love in verse 17. This is why the, Father's love, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. Death for those whom he loves is part of the nature of the triune God. Let me say that again. Death for those whom he loves is part of the nature of the triune God. What do I mean by that? He wants to kill everybody he loves? No, I know that's what it sounds like. That's not what I mean. Dying for, maybe I should have phrased it a little differently. Dying for those whom he loves is part of the nature of the triune God. It is the nature of God to sacrifice for those he loves. That's us. Jesus is good because he is willing to die. Jesus is good because he's willing to die out of love for the people. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. Now, this is not Jesus earning God's love. I die, therefore God loves me. No, God loves me, therefore I die. Because of our relationship, because of his connection, because of his second person status in the Trinity and his complete relationship, full relationship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit in that relationship. It is Jesus's, the Son's, nature to die for those whom God's lo God loves. Let's put it a different way. A good shepherd risks his life. The good shepherd, who is also the Son, expresses his love for the Father by dying. We can say that shepherds love their sheep because they're willing to risk their life. We can say the good shepherd loves his sheep much more dramatically because he's willing to give up his life, willing to sacrifice his life, willing to do more than just risk it, and he does that showing us God's love. God loved the world in this manner, in this way, that he sent his son to die for the world. That is God's love. That is God's love expressed in the coming of his son. Why does the son die? Why is he good? Because he shows his father's eternal love for us. And he shows that in the number one way to do it. Somebody tells you they love you. And maybe, just maybe, I mean, this is the way Paul puts it, right? Maybe they'll die for you. Maybe a good man will risk his life, will, will do something for you, but no one will just flat out choose to die in your place. And Jesus does. Are there heroes that run into burning buildings knowing that they might die? Yes. But what's their goal? 
to save you and live doing it. Jesus has run into the fiery furnace of hell knowing that in rescuing me, he would die. Not that he might die. That is the Father's love for me. That Jesus died on purpose and shows the Father's love. The good shepherd is good in verse 17, not just because he's willing to die, but because he won't stay dead. Oh, he will die. He will die completely. He will die fully. In every sense of the word that we understand death to be, Jesus will die, but he won't stay there. He says, this is why the fathers love me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. That so that is very important. Taking it up again is not incidental to his death. A dead Savior is a worthless Savior. A Savior who comes and says, follow me and I will do all these things. I will take your sin on me. I will do all this stuff as your Savior and then dies and that's it. What has he done? Who knows? He died. But a Savior that says, I will take your sin. I will take your burden. I will earn the forgiveness that you can't earn for yourself. And then three days later, after saying he was going to come back from the dead, comes back from the dead, proves not only the truth of his statement that he will come back from the dead, but proves the truth of his statement that he took your sin. You see how that works? I can say I'm going to die for you and take your sin for you, and y'all might believe me, and I might fully intend to do it. But if I just say I'm going to die and that's it, and I do it, where's the proof that there was any transaction? But if I could, and I can't, Jesus did, since he did, say, I'm going to die, I'm going to take your sin, but let me tell you how you can know that it worked. I'm coming back. That is the proof, and glory is right. He came back. He said, it didn't, it didn't win. I, 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 wanna, I wish I could have seen the devil's face. I don't know what the devil thought. I think the devil fought victory. He knows the Bible better than any of us, the devil does. But I don't know what he imagined was going to happen after the cross. Did he rejoice at that point and think he had won? Did he have some you know, insubordinate demon down there who, who said, Boss, you sure this is going to work? I mean... What if he comes back? I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I guess maybe it's just the way my warped mind works. But what he found out three days later on Sunday morning was that it didn't work. That he did come back and that everything that was promised was now fulfilled. And all Satan could do was say, we done messed up, Aaron. We have fouled it up big time because everything we had planned is not going to work out. And that was the end of it for him. He's good because he won't stay dead. Verse 18, let's get on this one more time. He is good because he chooses to die. 
No one forced Jesus to die. No human surprised Jesus by showing up in the garden, putting him in handcuffs, taking him off, and nailing him to a cross the next day. That was not any human endeavor that did that. That was Jesus laying it down. Jesus had the option to not. In the garden, he prayed, let this cup pass from me. Let there be some other way we can fulfill the same exact plan, but without me going through what I'm about to go through. Even so, not my will, but yours. And there was no other way. And Jesus got up. We see the distress in his prayer. We see the, 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 the drops of uh, sweat like blood. We, we hear the agony in his voice. And then we see resolve. Then we see him stand up. I, that's something I wish I could have seen more than the devil's face. Have you ever been a, encountered someone when they don't know, they just don't know, or, or th is there any way but this? We've got to figure out some, some other way to, to accomplish this goal. And when that moment comes when they realize there's no other way, They face it. As, as, as impressive as that is in our human terms, to see Jesus turn and face the cross and then to know that was for me. To know his agony was defeated by love and obedience and then to see him then turn and face that cross for me and for you. That's, that's a good shepherd that chooses to die. It's a good shepherd. Last part of verse 18, because he is obedient to the Father. I have received this command from my Father. He's following the command of his Father. Now, th th there are books volumes written on could Jesus have not gone to the cross? It's a moot point, he did. The question is, could, could he have sinned? Could he have chosen another way? Could he have really called down angels to take him off the cross? Well, could he have? Yes. I, I, he said, I could have. Yet he did not because he was following his father's command. He was obedient unto death, the Bible tells us. That sort of obedience to the Father, I'm afraid, is very lacking in the church today. See, this was much more than an example, but certainly not less than a good example to us about the goodness of obedience to a difficult command. Jesus was not skipping down the Via Dolorosa to the cross just all excited and, and, and geared up about being nailed to it. If we have that impression that he just went to it and, and was excited about it, I think we've missed some parts of Scripture. It was agonizing. It, we, we, we don't have the words to express humanly what the man Jesus went through. Nor do we have the words to express theologically, philosophically, whatever, 
the agony that the second person of the Trinity went through, the Son went through in his, uh, his, his forsakenness by God the Father. We don't even know what that means, that he was forsaken by the Father, and yet he knows that he was because he cries it out on the cross, and we go, Jesus wanted to be there. We lessen that. We, we, we weaken what happened to Jesus. Jesus is good because he was obedient when everything humanly cried out to him not to be obedient. Everything demonically cried out to him not to be obedient. The temptation from the devil was three different ways Jesus didn't have to be obedient to God. And yet Jesus chose all three times. Finally, the last one was the way out of the cross. Bow down to me and I'll give you the people you're going to die for. See, see, Satan knew. He knew. He just, he just thought, oh, I got it. Bow down to me, Jesus. Bow down to me and, and you don't have to do what you're here to do. I'll give you the people. You just, all you do is worship me. Be obedient to me and not your father and you'll get what you want. And Jesus said, basically, son, you misunderstood what I want. I don't want to own them. I don't want them as my slaves. I don't want them something that, that I earned because I took over the kingdom from the previous ruler. I'm going to give everything I have for them, and they're going to follow me. They're going to trust me. I want them to come to me because of who I am, not because of what you sold me. He said it much, more, much better than I did, but... That's what he was saying. He is good because he is obedient. So the question we began with was, do you need to follow the shepherd? Uh, yeah. Follow the good shepherd, but what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, let's go back over our previous points this morning. Have a relationship with the shepherd. Shepherd is not somebody we go and we check in with once a week. Sunday morning, how you doing, shepherd? Good. You doing all right as a sheep? Yeah, I'm doing good. You know, my wool's growing like it needs to. I've been eating okay. Um, I need to get sheared here before too long, but, but uh, you know, if you could take care of that maybe Thursday or Friday, I'd appreciate it. All right, sheep, see you later. I'll see you next Sunday morning. That's not the relationship that we are to have with the shepherd. The shepherd is one in whom we live and breathe, in whom we have our being, Paul tells us. We have a relationship with the shepherd. We know his voice, and he calls us by name. We have a relationship with the Father if we're going to follow the good shepherd. Because to have a relationship with the shepherd is to have a relationship with the Father. And vice versa. You cannot have a relationship with the Father without a relationship with the shepherd. No, you don't know God. No, you don't get closer to God. No, you don't have a relationship with God. You know Jesus, and he introduces you to God. You have a relationship with Jesus, and then you have a relationship with God. You get to know Jesus, and then you, have a, you get to know God. That's the way the relationship works. You must go through the shepherd to have a relationship with the Father. You must follow the good shepherd. Sheep, you want to follow the good shepherd? Look on his death. Don't ever forget the cross. Don't ever get bored or desensitized to the cross. I went to uh, chaplaincy training 
yesterday uh, to, to, for, the, for disaster relief for the convention. And one of the things they asked us, one of the questions in the orientation and the training was, is there anything you wouldn't want to go to? Any, any disaster you wouldn't want to be a part of? They're basically asking you, what can your stomach handle? I mean, that's, that's really what it boils down to. And use your imagination, and you can think of some ways that some uh, disasters you might not want to attend to. We're not just talking about natural, but maybe man-made that you would not want to be a part of. And they asked that question. And, and, and the reality is that various people have different uh, tolerances for various things. If you work in a funeral home, for example, and I did for a little while, edited as well, you, you kind of build up a tolerance for dead bodies. Not that big a deal. Uh, one of my jobs was to go pick up the bodies soon after they died and take them to the funeral home. So you begin to, you know, you can kind of set that aside and you, you, you kind of label that as something besides maybe what it really is, and that's how you do it. Doctors do it. Uh, our trainer is a director of missions, former pastor, but former EMS guy. He said, you just, he has seen some stuff. And he said, you just have to put that aside. You create a box and you put it in and, hope, and, and regularly you have to take everything out of that box and talk about it and, and, and kind of throw it away. As you talk about it, you have to be debriefed, but, but you separate yourself from that and you get desensitized to it. We can never be that with the cross. We can never look upon Jesus' death and say, eh, that, that was tough. Man, but that was hard. And why, why do you think pastors regularly, especially at Easter, will give extreme descriptions of what went on in the cross? Because we can never lose sight of what Jesus did for me. That should have been me going through that. And it wasn't. We can never lose sight of that. You want to follow the good shepherd? You need to follow the good shepherd? Respond to his call. When he calls your name, go. When he gives a command, do it. When you hear your name called, jump up. In the military, you didn't have an option. We need five volunteers to go dig a latrine. You, 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 you volunteer. Sir, digging holes for people to do that in, that's just not my thing. I mean, I'm not, no, you don't have that option. You don't have the option when you follow the good shepherd. We respond to his call. You want to follow the good shepherd? Be a part of the flock. Be unified as a part of the flock. Be a part of what Jesus is doing among his people in this place today. Have uh, affection for each other. Have concern for each other. Have patience with each other. Love each other. Be a part of one flock with one shepherd. Do you want to follow the good shepherd? Experience the Father's love. He's not going to force you. But as a sheep, we need to take time to be with the shepherd because we aren't really sheep. We're not really a part of a flock that has no choice. We can come as a sheep on Sunday morning and say, I got it. Thanks, God. Checked in. See you next week. We need, as Jesus says, he has. We need to experience the Father's love regularly. But don't get so focused on the cross that in following the good shepherd, that's all we focus on. He's not there. Nor is, is, is he in the tomb. If you want to follow the good shepherd, 
find hope in the resurrection. It's over. It's done. It's finished. My sins are forgiven. The proof is in the resurrection. Now is our time to find hope in that. To say, thank you, Jesus, absolutely, I'm free. I'm saved. I struggle, I suffer, I sin, I mess it up, but I'm always saved. I have my hope in the promise that Jesus has saved me. Do you want to follow the good shepherd? Rejoice in the fact that he did that all for you. Rejoice in the fact that he loves you enough, even though he knows you completely, to go through all that he went through. Are are you hearing me, sheep? I'm not talking to the people who don't know the shepherd. I'm talking to us who know him. Do we rejoice in his sacrifice, or do we spit on it? Do we slander it? Do we step on it by our actions? Rejoice in the sacrifice. You want to follow the good shepherd? then you need to follow in obedience to the Father. When you follow the shepherd, you are following the Father. When the Father says jump, you say how high. When the Father says go, you don't even ask where. We, like Abraham, when we hear the command to go, we need to start walking. And then when the Father decides to tell us where, he'll let us know. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? There's no common sense in that, is there? Yes and no. It does sound crazy, and there isn't common sense. And yet, that's the faith we're called to have. When God says, walk, we walk. You hear the good shepherd calling you, church? Do you hear the prayer? We're going to look at his prayer, chapter 17 of John, in a few more weeks. And hear his prayer for unity for his people. His prayer for his church to come together to fulfill the mission they are called to. Do you hear him today calling you to live called out? To follow the good shepherd? Because if you didn't, I mean, I, I, can, I can preach all this again. Uh, get out about 1230 or so. But I can cover it all one more time if you need me to call is there, people. Will we follow? Now, the question that remains is, are you even a sheep? You need to believe the shepherd. When the shepherd says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me, John 16, 4, you need to believe that. When he says, I am the door, we need to understand that's the only way in. Have you Believed the shepherd in everything that he said. Believe the shepherd when he speaks through Paul and says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Believe the shepherd when he says through the New Testament writers, you are a sinner and there's nothing you can do about it. Believe the shepherd when he said through Paul, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Believe that you can do nothing about your sin. Believe that you are lost in your sins with no way out except by the door, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, and the life, the gift of God that is given through Jesus Christ. Believe that you can't save yourself. Believe that there aren't many roads to heaven. There is one door through which we must pass. There are two paths, one that leads to destruction and one that leads to heaven. Believe that. Believe that God proved his own love for us. 
that while we were yet sinners, while we were lost, while we were disgusting, while we were mud-ridden and sin-caked and destined for hell, God loved us enough to send his son to die for us. That good shepherd. Believe the good shepherd when he says, everyone who calls on his name will be saved. Believe the good shepherd when he says there are sheep who are not of this fold. There are sheep that I have to go get. There are sheep out there that we still need to bring in. Believe the shepherd when he says, every one of you can be saved if you will put your faith and trust in him. If you will call on the name of the Lord. Believe the good shepherd when he says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Don't believe that you have to do anything. Don't believe you have to earn salvation. Don't believe that it's Jesus and. Believe that it's Jesus and only Jesus that can save you. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. This is not faith in faith. I don't have faith in my prayer. I don't have faith in my belief. I don't have faith in my response. I have faith in the one whom God sent, the shepherd, the good shepherd, the one that died. That's where my faith is. If you confess with your mouth. This morning, maybe you need to make that commitment. Maybe you need to follow. You need to believe the good shepherd. And once you've believed, you need to follow the shepherd. We're going to have a time to do that in just a minute. But pray with me first. Father, thank you that you have provided the way. Thank you that we have the good shepherd to follow, that we have salvation, that we have hope, that we have the resurrection that proves what we have in you. Lord, in this morning I pray that we would see salvation among our people, that we would see you work in hearts and lives today, that we would see People believe the good shepherd. Lord, maybe there's someone here that needs to, to follow for the first time, to trust you. Maybe there's someone here that needs to get back on the path. They need to, to follow you as, as a sheep, and they've not been doing as they should. They need to renew their obedience to you. God, you work in hearts as you see fit, and we will rejoice and give you the glory for all that's done. In Jesus' name, amen. So what's your response? How do you need to follow the shepherd this morning? Do you need to come and do you need to give your heart to Jesus? Do you need to trust him for your salvation? Do you need to express your belief? Do you need to be baptized? You've, you've followed Jesus, but you've never really begun that step uh, of obedience in baptism. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you, you need to follow the Father in obedience after salvation, after those other things. Maybe it includes joining our church. Maybe it includes a redirection of your life. Maybe it includes a recommitment of your life to follow him in the ways that he's called you to. I don't know what your decision is, but I know that everyone in here has a decision to make this morning. So as we stand, as Donald and the kids lead us, you do business with God this morning.